Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. Today, we are joined by Dr. Richard Natelli. Dr. Natelli is a board-certified urologist practicing in North Carolina at Carolina Urology Partners. He completed a urology residency in 2009 at the University of Florida. Dr. Natelli has specific interest in treating men's health concerns, including erectile dysfunction, low testosterone, and Peyronie's disease, among other urologic conditions. Dr. Natelli, thank you very much for joining us. Well, Mark, thank you for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. So what we want to explore in today's episode is the role of prosthetics and sexual health and in urology more broadly. One of the things that we have found is that health issues relating to genitals, even when they do not have a direct physical impact on sexual function, can be psychologically impactful, leading to erectile dysfunction, ejaculatory disorders, Um, and whatnot. So prosthetics can be a solution for a number of these conditions. And we hope to learn more about that today. So to get things started, Dr. Natalia, can you tell us a little bit about your practice? Sure. So I'm a a general urologist in terms of background and and original training, taking care of all kind of gamut of um, diseases, urologic diseases, but I've focused in on the area of men's health over the last decade of my practice. Um, So that kind of comprises a catch net of uh, erectile dysfunction issues, as we, as you're making mention earlier before Peyronie's disease, and as well as things like prostate enlargement, urinary issues that may come with it. Now, in the terms of the specific area of erectile dysfunction, specialists or someone who has the focus and interest that, as I do, will walk people through the whole treatment paradigm and try to evaluate them in a very comprehensive, wholesome way, moving from, you know, just counseling and discussion all the way up to and through surgery. So that's kind of, that's the, 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 the summary of my practice in a nutshell. I'm assuming that you are in clinical practice full-time. Is that correct? Full-time, I am. I'm also the president of my group, um, so I do have some administrative responsibilities a couple of days a month that I take off and work uh, helping guide our practice, but otherwise, full-time urologist. Seeing patients. Yeah. Okay, so Dr. Natalia, can you tell myself and our listeners, what is this word prosthetic, prosthesis? What exactly does this mean? And we can take it from there to get some of the applications to uh, practical medical concerns. Sure. The the bottom line with prosthetic urology or prostheses and, and prosthetics in, in this arena is a surgical device that is implanted to help achieve an erection. And those typically folks who failed other medical therapies beforehand. Um, so we think about the penile prosthesis as the mainstay of this. But their other part of prosthetic urology exists is in the function of urinary incontinence and issues related to post-cancer surgery side effects. So the prosthetic urologist is someone who engages in the treatment of ED with surgical implants, but also incontinence with surgical implants as well. 
what, yeah. what, what, what constitutes a prosthetic when it comes uh, to prosthetic? So, so a prosthetic being the actual physical device that like the, the different types of prosthetics that would be implanted include a rod like device for erections. Um, there's a two piece device, which is partially pumped, uh, pumped. And then there's a three piece device, which is the most commonly implanted implant that essentially mimics as best as possible the erectile function that we have normally with a hydraulic pump that draws fluid from a reservoir and puts it into the cylinders of the penis to get you an erection. When it comes to the treatment of erectile dysfunction, what exactly is the role of the prosthetic? Does this create an erection? Does it help to assist an erection? What, what, what exactly does it do? It, it creates the erection. So in men who've had you know, whatever the causes are, and there, of which there, there are many, but men who are refractory to medical treatment, so the, the standard Viagra, Cialis, and all the rest, those guys then may move on to the surgical implant to help them actually achieve the, the erection. Okay. Now, what is the surgery process of getting a prosthetic, I guess, from its packaging uh, mm-hmm. into the penis? Um, well, the process itself is, is a, usually an under one hour, uh, minimally invasive surgical procedure where we make incisions either just above the penis or right below the penis, depending on patients, different parameters. Uh, we were able to insert the prosthetic device through those incisions, including the reservoir, the the pocket of fluid that helps get the pump, uh, activated, uh, we're able to do through one single incision most often. Um, the, as again, the surgery is about an hour. Usually you either go home the same day or you may stay overnight, go home the next day. Once the device is in, does it require maintenance? Does this have to, like, do men have to come back in for tune-ups? Does it need replacement parts? Or is this like a one-and-done type of type of surgery? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the maintenance of it and the success reliability of the implant, the mechanical reliability is, is excellent. Um, and it, and it really has been so over the last 20 years plus, um, and it's just been improved upon over time so that your likelihood of having a failure of a device is less than 1%. But with that being said, the, the more repetitive use over time will eventually compromise its, its function. And eventually it may need to be replaced. Unfortunately, there is no um, way to maintain it in the terms of, you know, they almost putting grease to, to a squeaky part. Can't do that. So if there's anything that does break, it does require a surgical revision. Um, but the lifespan of this of the implant can be as long as 15 to 20 years, which I've I've taken care of a number of patients who've had implants for that long or longer. Okay. And I assume that at the 15 to 20 year mark, the device would have to be replaced at that point just because it's no longer effective? You know, honestly, I know as long as the implant's doing what it's supposed to do um, in getting the erection, it it only needs to be replaced if it stops working. So usually I, I've been surprised. I had a, probably the longest implant I've seen in a patient was 20, 23 years he'd had it. So that was fantastic. And it still worked. Got it. So in other words, there's high mechanical integrity to these devices that it could it could go for quite some time, 
but I, I assume there's no uh, warranty for the lifespan. Yeah. In other words, <laughs> exactly right. There is a limited <laughs> warranty in terms of what yeah. uh, you know medicine or medical devices could guarantee. But but some men have very long runs with a device before it would ne- need to be replaced. Precisely correct. Yes. If a man decides that um, a prosthetic is a good option, he's not having reliable mm-hmm. erections, causing a lot of distress, and he wants to go ahead with this procedure. Mm-hmm. Can he decide three or four years down the line that he now wants to go ahead and reverse this? That's the tough part about the procedure. The answer is no. Um, once you've made the commitment towards putting an implant in, um, that is going to be the way you're going to get erections moving forward. There are some exceptions. Occasionally, men will able to achieve erection with um, a vacuum assist device, the, the kind of the penis pumps that you hear about more commonly may work on getting a man an erection if they were to have the device removed. Um, but most often this is a commitment of, of, you know, this is the way we're going to do it from now on. Okay. So this is a, a big life decision. Mm-hmm. Now, from what I have un- understood about these devices that once they are in, there's a very high rate of satisfaction among people who are using them. Has that been yes. your experience as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I sort of try to coin a phrase and I'm trying to think of of other R words, but I start off with the three R's, reproducibility, reliability, and rigidity. Um, The other ones are spontaneity and durability. What I mean by all that is you get what you need when you need it for as long as you need it, as rigid as you need it, and can do so with very little planning. So that's the advantage of, of the penile implants that, that you can take to the arena of, of the lovemaking process afterwards, right? So you don't have to be the guy who runs over to the refrigerator and gets a shot or has to wait for his pill to work. In other words, a couple pumps and this is done. But to that end, can you describe to the listeners how is a penile prosthesis used for um, gaining an erection? Okay. So the, the prosthesis, the, the three parts, as we kind of made, made mention of earlier, those the, those the implant, implantable parts in the penis, the cylinders, um, imagine uh, just kind of condensed, flattened, for lack of a better description, balloons that fill with saline. And those are inserted in the erectile bodies of the penis itself. So the pump, which is a manual pump in the scrotal skin is you underneath the scrotal skin, excuse me, is pumped by the patient, drawing fluid into those cylinders until they've reached such a max, maximum rigidity that now you have achieved the erection. Um, and it mimics the body's natural process of, of getting an erection by filling those rectal chambers. Now, instead with blood, now you're doing it with a, with a saline pump. Okay. So, so again, a man pumps, this you know, pump, which is located, he said, behind the scrotum? Uh, actually, it's right in the front and the lower part of the scrotum, typically. Front, lower part of the scrotum. Mm-hmm. You got it. And that fills the chambers with saline, which mm-hmm. creates, a, until the desired rigidity, mm-hmm. engages in a sexual activity, and then what? So once, and this is the, the joke I kind of tell with my patients, going back to that durability issue about how long it lasts. So you, a man can climax and will remain erect afterwards until you turn off the device. So 
I joke because you're kind of like the Superman, right? You can, if you do climax too soon or, you know, not your, your partner hasn't reached that point yet, your penis, your erection will not go away until you tell it to. So with the pump that has an off button to it, so it'll stay erect throughout the entire intercourse act. And, and how does that off button work? So it's a, it, this is a hydraulic pump. So as soon as you hit that off button, what you're doing is releasing the fluid back from the cylinders and usually what you're trying to establish when you hit the off button is you're opening up the valve that exists in between the pump itself and the, and the cylinders, allowing the fluid to kind of pulse back into the reservoir. But typically what we wind up doing is you'll hold the button for a few seconds, release it, and then squeeze the penis to drain the rest of the fluid out. Okay. And then I guess the penis returns at that point to being flaccid. Yes. And yes. is there a... Um refractory period that the device has to then rest or could it be repumped uh without without needing any break in between you can be re, you can repump it without needing the break okay and uh because it works as a hydraulic and with a pump is is it the number of pumps that are used over the lifespan that generally indicate how long the device is going to last so i'm sure there's some men who use it pretty frequently and other men who use it on occasion does yes. That make a difference. That exactly exactly right. So a couple of things in terms of the pumping. First of all, the number of pumps that are cycled actually depends on the size of your penis. So the larger the penis, obviously, the more you're gonna have to pump the device to get enough filled into the chambers to get the erection. The more you manipulate the pump and, and squeeze it over time, whether it's the number of pumps itself or just the actual action of, of pulling in on the tubing eventually will lead to compromise of that tubing, which would, would make the device no longer work. Therefore, theoretically speaking, the more often you're using it, the greater the likelihood that it will break sooner than the guys who don't use it very frequently. Okay, which makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, you mentioned something that caught my ear, which is the number of pumps is going to correlate to the size of the penis. Does that mean that a prosthetic is custom made or custom designed for each uh, for each penis, depending on its size and its girth, or is there like a one size fits all inflate until there's no more space? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So the answer is, it is relatively customized to your penile length. And what I mean by that is that the device is made up of two parts. The actual cylinders that are get erect in the penis, there's the cylinder itself that fills and then something called a rear tip. And what happens is depending on the particular measurements of the man's penis, we will change the length of the cylinder and or the length of the rear tip, the backside of it, to fit the penis in such a manner where you get the best rigidity possible out of the implant. Um, so it is custom to the patient's overall measurements. We just don't put a one size fits all because not one size does fit all. Got it. So Dr. Natalie, who is a candidate for a penile prosthetic, because I think our listeners are well aware that uh, medications like uh, Viagra, Cialis, um, obviously their generics are well consumed in the general general male population, really ranging in all ages. Um, when it comes to these other treatments, these other interventions, I think it becomes a little bit more confusing as to who really is an appropriate mm -hmm. candidate or a right candidate uh, for the prosthesis. So you, if you could let our listeners know who fits the bill or who could potentially be uh, a good fit for, for a prosthetic? Sure. I, I have a tendency, and I might be a little bit long-winded in this particular response, but I, I do so because 
I'd be, I feel so passionate about, about treating erectile dysfunction in particular with the idea of prosthetic of prosthetics as necessary. Um, to me, I usually define the need for this surgical intervention based upon a patient's sexuality and sexual needs first. So I kind of flip the paradigm to some degree. Yes, I will ask patients to march through some of the, of the steps. You know, I certainly don't want to put a prosthetic in someone who's never tried Viagra. But with that being said, the first assessment is, well, tell me a little bit more about your sexuality. Are you making love or were you making love three times a week, uh, two times a day? Or was it a once in every six months idea that then guides me as to what the patient may need. So if I go from there to the next thing is, well, what have you failed? What's worked? If they haven't tried anything, always, always, always it's medications. But as we get patients who are pushing the envelope, they're not doing well with the medications. Maybe they're even doubling them up at times. Then the next step beyond that is the discussion of, okay, here are the remaining treatment options do we need to just consider a prosthetic implant because you make love often? Or do you want to try perhaps a less invasive option because we don't, you know, you may only make love twice a, uh, a year. So we, I understanding the patient's needs in the bedroom for me is then helps me walk them through that journey to apply whatever therapy is appropriate. And I really, really appreciate that answer because I think in particular, when it comes to um, sexual function, um, even that word itself is so much dependent on w- what what is happening in a person's life and yes. and uh, what's happening in their in their relationships or in their sexual relationships, and you know being able to look at erectile dysfunction as a situational as opposed to just a a object an objective medical diagnosis because. Anybody who's struggling with erections, one could make the argument, could be a candidate for an implant. That's but right. It really depends on what's going on in their life as to whether this really is a, a good option for them. If they're not overly sexually active and don't plan on being, maybe this isn't you know, exactly the treatment that would make the most sense for them. Whereas somebody who is very sexually active and is deeply distressed by not having a reliable erection, this could be a really great alternative. They may have the same medical profile. Yes. Um, but their lifestyle may, may send them down different treatment roads. Yeah, hundred percent. It's about, I it's, it's, if you are, I, you know, I hate to, to say this in this way, sounds like I'm boasting, but if you're good at your job, you're going to look at the patient as a person. It, 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 and maybe this is wrong of me to say, but I sometimes will put myself in their shoes and try to understand from their perspective, because if, if everything is a nail, because I'm a hammer, I'm not doing my job right. Really, truly. I, I, I don't, want to put everybody into that, into that kind of you know, round square peg and round hole type stuff. I, I think you need to really customize to the patient's needs first. And that's listening. That's understanding, you know, their journey, what their needs are. It's, it's just key. And we, we talk a lot on, on this podcast about the, the nuance and the individuality to um, erectile dysfunction. And, and I, you know, always appreciate when, when, you know, the medical counterparts to the psychological side of erectile dysfunction also can see the patient in that way. So I, you know, deep appreciation for, for um, how you approach that. Now, how many men who um, are you know, potentially good candidates go mm-hmm. through with this treatment? It does sound a little bit invasive. And I know that many men uh, do get a little bit squeamish when it comes to uh, injections and surgery and whatnot around, uh, around the penis. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I, this global statistics that we hear very frequently quoted is if you were if you apply the definition of ED being anything from, you know, I'm not able to get it as hard as I used to all the way up to I can't get it anything at all. There's probably 30 million men in the United States who have this trouble. And to put that in perspective, out of the 30 million, obviously tens of millions are, are getting prescriptions for their medications. There are only about 15 to 20,000 implants put in per year. And you got to figure that some of those implants are patients that have had device revisions over the lifetime. So you're you're talking about a tiny fraction of people who will make that next step. Now, I think a lot of it has to do with something else that we, we sort of discussed, which is this, this kind of idea that sexuality is not something we need to share with our physician in a medical discussion. Um, and so people don't seek out that care. So that we, we get a lot of the, you know, the old joke about, Hey, I have my hand on the, on the, on the, the door handle about to walk out. Hey, can I get a script for Viagra? I think because of that, people aren't getting the exposure to this as they need to be because then there's one last piece of, of data to share, which is the average time it takes a patient who is a candidate for an implant to actually go to implant is about seven years. So these are guys who've been sitting there struggling silently. They're, they're miserable, waiting and waiting, and then they're finally going into this stuff. So I can tell you that while there's 15 plus thousand implants being put in per year, I can tell you there's probably you know hundreds potentially of thousands of men who probably should get an implant. Yeah, we, we certainly don't doubt that because I, th I think it's something which is uh, across the board when it comes to probably medical care, but certainly when it comes to sexual health. And uh, I, I see the same thing in my practice with just coming to talk to somebody about this. So I hear, you know, rather often that, that you know, I've been sitting with your card for a year and yeah. I, I look at it every day, but I, I just can't bring, I couldn't bring myself to call until it got you know, yeah. to a point where it's so challenging, I picked up the phone. So I, 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 you know, certainly hear that. But what I'm gathering from you is that it is really a fraction of the men who could, probably could benefit um, from an intervention like this that actually are following through. Yes. With the procedure. 100%. We've spoken a lot about the use of the prosthetic when it comes to erectile dysfunction, which I understand is its primary use. But could you educate both myself and the listeners about what are some of the other um, medical uh, uses for a prosthetic? What conditions are they um, used to treat? Well, I'm going to start off first with what it's not. Um, and I, I tell you that because there are some men who will come, um, and this is probably this is actually a very pertinent topic for both of us to talk about. Um, there's men who come with almost a body dysmorphia of my penis isn't normal. I need it to be bigger. I need it to be wider. I need it to be different. Um, the penile prosthesis is not like a breast implant. So it's not going to give you, you know, I've always wanted a 10 inch penis. It can't do that. Um, so it's a hundred percent functional. There's not an aesthetic uh, uh, use for it all at all. Now, with that being said, the use and application of the device outside of simply erectile dysfunction is uh, the other use for the device is for the correction of a condition called Peyronie's disease. So men who've had severe curvature of the penis in which either medical therapies have not worked or the severity of such would be that any surgical treatment to correct this, the curvature would result in erectile dysfunction. We oftentimes will implant a penile prosthesis um, because the devices themselves, because the, the nature of how they work, the rigidity, they in the number of themselves may correct the curvature or at the very least allow for us to do more advanced surgical techniques to correct the curvature. 
Um, outside of that, I've had some men who honestly have penile prosthesis so they can uh, gain access to their penis more easily. There are some men who, you know, between the effects of medical issues, age, obesity, will have a, such a shortening of their penis that they just can't get to it. So by putting something that's somewhat rigid in there, or at least has uh, stretches the space, they're actually able to, to kind of grab the penis and, and just do simple things like go, go pee. And if I can, yeah, if I could just kind of pause you there for a moment. Now, I, I know that we you know, spoke a little bit more about the inflatable prosthesis. Yeah. With, in, in the situation where there's a shortening of the penis and it's hard to reach, would that, would, would a more traditional prosthesis where like it's just a, like from what I understand, like a tube, it could be bent um, yes. and create more rigidity. Would that be like a, like a more common or more appropriate? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Particularly if it's not, you know, the, the rigid implants are difficult for sexual satisfaction just because of the nature of how they bend and, and move. Now, I'm not saying that they can't be used for that reason as well, but if we were looking typically for someone like what I just mentioned of, yeah, absolutely. In fact, ideally that patient would be a candidate for it also because usually they're heavy set and what comes with that is, you know, other medical conditions such as diabetes and all the rest. So if we were going to do something simple and a little bit quicker of a surgery and, and, uh, and less risk of infection, that's an ideal circumstance. Okay. Are there, are there any other urological conditions where a penile prosthesis would be used to treat? Um, not necessarily outside of those two things. So outside of erectile dysfunction and peroneus disease, um, the penile prosthesis itself for the purpose of erections, that's it. Um, it, it was really the other prosthetic implants that I mentioned earlier about urinary continence. Okay. And can, can you just kind of refresh our listeners' memory about the other types of... Sure. Sure. So occasionally when men, for example, who've had prostate removal for cancer, um, they'll develop a condition called stress urinary incontinence and they'll leak with cough, laughing, sneezing. They may even, they may even just leak constantly after the surgery. Um, there are two in, implantable devices. One is called a sling, the advanced male sling, which can resupport, reposition the urethra, and, and allow for the better support and therefore more control, typically in the more mild to moderate leakage patients. Um, and that, you know, you hear the word sling, a lot of people get worried about the, the ugly words we heard about in the media a few years ago, but this is not that type of material um, or at least type of device. The second is something which I find brilliant is an artificial urinary sphincter, which is a cuff that wraps around the urethra channel out of the bladder and mimics our pelvic floor. Um, and it's a really neat device because it's, it's filled with saline. It keeps the urethra closed. The pump in this particular case is pressed once draining the fluid out of the cuff and putting it into something called a pressure regulating balloon, which in and of itself wants to return back to its normal size and refill that cuff resulting in a cycle in which you're closed. You press a pump, you open, you pee, and it slowly closes back on itself. Mimicking our normal function. So there, there are obviously other uses of prosthetics in urology outside of erectile dysfunction. When it comes yes. to a penile implant, that seems to be really around erectile function and and possibly uh, correcting um, um, Peyronie's disease, which there's a fair amount of overlap between Peyronie's disease and and erectile dysfunction. Yes, um, but these these other these other prosthetics though are not for that purpose. Yeah, that's correct. 
All right, Dr. Thaler, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about uh, prosthetics? Certainly, if there are listeners out there who maybe are on the fence or are curious about this, um, what would you want to message to them? So it, to wrap that part of it up, I think that it's important to find the people who are going to focus on taking care of the patient first, right? So having a good interaction with your physician, understanding kind of their philosophy is how they take care of patients. That's number one. Number two is making sure that that doctor also does a fair volume because you can reduce the risk of complication and improve the likelihood of a good outcome with a surgeon who does more than a few a year. And that, you know, we know that to be the case through all types of specialties. So having someone who's more focused on that is very important. From there, it's also just about doing your homework of the device it's easy to Google search something and find the negative things like we can do for everything in the world, but understanding the positives, understanding how it fits in your life, take, taking that time is important. And finally, I really encourage all my patients to come with their partners. Um, you know, not involving your partner is a mistake because that's not, not any other reason, but you want to have a supportive environment, which we're collaborating together on how to fix this problem, obviously with the person you're making love with. So those are the kind of key things I think are important for my patients that I, that I hope that they all think about or any, anybody who's listening to the podcast, I would suggest that to them as well. Okay. Well, Dr. Natalia, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this is going to be very informative to our listeners uh, out there. And I can't wait to get this episode out. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.